He imagined the room, bathed in blood, himself striding through it, a raven amongst the carcasses, strutting like any carrion king. Nathan Ballingrud, North American Lake Monsters. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast dedicated to the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we have special guest Jason White from Jason's Weird Reads on YouTube and the Darkness Dwells podcast, and we are tackling the subgenre of the weird. Well, welcome to the show, Jason. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Well, this is a subgenre I've wanted to talk about, and I know it's one that you're passionate about. So I felt like you were the perfect guest for this episode. Well, again, thank you. Um, I just want to put it out there that I'm not the smartest person within, you know, this genre. There's a lot of the people that I read, in fact, are like, they might, they blow my mind on how much they know about this genre. Because I've talked to some of them on, on my own show and uh but yeah you, you know uh thank you for having me i'm i'm really excited to be talking about this this is one of my favorite if not my favorite uh thing to read so yeah i remember you saying that i think it was a a video and one of the questions was like if you only had to read one genre for the rest of your life and you said weird yes <laughs> that's because it's so there's such a big range uh of weird fiction you can you can still read fantasy you can still read science fiction. Um, it's it's very diverse in that way. And horror, of course. I think it's one of those things when you start getting into horror and you find out that weird is not just a description, like it's an actual subgenre category. Yeah. <laughs> well, the weird thing about weird fiction is, is that it's kind of hard to define exactly what it is. Um, there's a saying that goes around that... Um, uh, you don't know that you're reading weird fiction until you're reading it. And then you're like, oh, this is weird fiction. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very much uh, within its own uh, uh, subgenre. But it, it, it kind of fits different genres on its own. Does that make any sense? Kind of. So it's like there is weird within horror, but then horror also falls under the umbrella of weird Yes, um, mostly because, uh, well, literary horror often falls into weird horror. Yeah. There's a reason for that, um, because most, if not all, weird fiction is literary horror, because it, it focuses mostly on character rather than plot. Almost always, when you're reading a weird fiction story, it's always, almost always, about the existential dread or the ex existential experience of the uh, character and what they're going through. And that's where the weird comes in. And that's why you can have, like, a science fiction story or a, uh, a fantasy story or any, any genre, really. 
all you need to do is add in an element that uh, that warps reality in some way and uh, and changes the reality of the character it can even be that the character's insane it doesn't need to be an actual like clashing of dimensions or something like that you know what I mean but mm-hmm. it's because of that uncertainty of what's going on that creates a, a certain sort of dread and that dread is really related relatable to horror so it doesn't necessarily need to be horror but even if it's it doesn't have any like supernatural elements to it you're still going to read it as a horror story because of what's going on with the character yeah and it's funny you say that because I would say all the books that I picked I think two out of the three were very character focused in a way that I really connected with because I think a lot of the preconceived notions I have about weird were one like yeah most of the weird books that I've read were very literary and some short stories like to the extent that I just did not understand (laughs) what was going on (laughs) and the minute that I finished them I'm like I need someone to just like explain this to me (laughs) yeah totally over my head whatever it was they were trying to say that's definitely uh one of the things where you know that you're reading weird fiction because you don't know what the hell's going on and when you finished it you still don't know (laughs) um and you know it i think that turns a lot of people off to this uh, subgenre, honestly, and because uh, a lot of people like having things explained, and for me, the reason why I like weird fiction so much is I've always been drawn to that mystery. Um, you know, like that uh, that lady who who died at at the top of a building. She died in that water reservoir. Yeah, and you, you've seen the YouTube video of that where she's like yeah. looking. She's in the elevator and she's looking. And that's, yeah, it's very creepy, but we don't know what happened. And the door leading to the top of the, of the uh, building was locked. So how did she get out there and how did she get into the water reservoir thing? And so it's things like that, that make my, my uh, imagination just start spinning. And I'm like, Oh, I got to know what happened. But (laughs) I, I don't necessarily want to know what happened because if you logically explained everything, that would destroy the mystery and suddenly I'm not interested anymore. I can see that. So you think there's a bit of ambiguity within weird just naturally? Because, you know, you can see authors reaching for that ambiguity and it doesn't always work. Um, I think... There has to be a logical thing that is happening in the background. You don't necessarily have to know it, but you can't just do weird for weird. Does that make sense? Or yeah. weird for weird's sake. You need to have, there has to be a reason there. You're just not, if you're the author, you're just not offering what it is. Mm-hmm. That makes the best weird fiction, in my opinion. I can say that. Where it's, it's there, like a... A book that I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, uh, A Fever Dream mm-hmm. by Samantha Schroblin, where it's one of those things where I'm like, I didn't get it. But when I looked it up and had people, you know, give these very detailed explanations, I thought, OK, like that makes sense now that those things were put in context. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of those things were uh, very specific to like the setting and the politics of that setting that I just wasn't aware of. But yeah. You know, like when our like an English professor finally like tells you what the a thing is, and you're like, oh, okay, now it makes sense. Yeah, like it, it has to <laughs> make sense once it's explained. 
Certainly. And sometimes uh, you don't want it explained. You like yeah. your, your mind sort of wondering. Yeah, you know, it's all about the awe, the awe-inspiring moment that doesn't necessarily need an answer. And so. uh, that, that I think, you know, Caitlin R. Kiernan, who's uh, one of the books I'm going to be talking about in a bit, um, mm-hmm. she always talks about awe and wonder. And one of her collections, actually, I think is called or has on wonder in the title. I can't remember exactly, but <laughs> that's really what it comes down to is that moment of awe and wonder when something happens and you're just left speechless and uh, wondering what the hell just happened. And uh, literary masters of this can use that and, and turn it into so much symbolism and uh, meaning. Yeah. So I feel like personally, a lot of the thing with weird is a lot of the times it's more the journey than the destination. Like I enjoy sometimes reading the novel, even though sometimes by the end I'm like, I don't know if I can really sit down and explain what it all means, but I enjoyed it. It was a great reading experience. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Actually some of the books that we're going to be discussing today, I can't, I can't go much beyond uh, the very basics. (laughs) What well, was it? The one that we talked about earlier? Because I, I told you, I'm like, I tried to read that and I just did not. I did not get it. it I think that was the Caitlin Kiernan one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> she She's actually, uh, I think, the first author I read that was strictly weird fiction. And that's what pulled me in. And so I kind of had to. I haven't read this book that we're going to be discussing until until you asked me to be on the show. And then I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I'm going to read this novella that she wrote because it, it, you know, it has to come full circle for me in some way. <laughs> so I know we talked about like the weird, well, <laughs> the, the strange like genre placement of weird, but I feel like there's like smaller subgenres that also fit under weird. Mm-hmm. Like what's the relationship between bizarro and weird fiction? Well, Weird fiction is uh, is what I sort of just described. It's uh, you're taking real life things and uh, you're turning it into something that's uh, surreal. Uh, mm-hmm. I think weird fiction really relies on surrealism and uh, and existence and what existence means and all that stuff. Where Bizarro will take real life and turn it into a cartoon and then throw some dark dark stuff in there and and mess it all up. And, you know, basically splatter the screen of your eyes with uh, with a whole bunch of different types of bodily fluids. <laughs> <laughs> I love that explanation. <laughs> it, yeah, we're, we're uh, weird fiction is looking for meaning. Bizarro is just sort of uh, having fun with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can get some very dark Bizarro stories for sure. But uh, it's definitely more absurdist than than weird fiction is uh you get a lot of weird absurd things happening with bizarro and i was also curious about uh where cosmic horror fits into this because i know hp lovecraft is you know weird and cosmic yeah and the two are almost married you could say because they come from the same place um cosmic horror uh existed before hp lovecraft started writing but he's the one after his death that really capitalized on it. All mm-hmm. his ideas really blew uh, the idea of cosmic horror out of the water. 
And uh, basically what cosmic horror is, is uh, it's, it's weird because, uh, because of what you're dealing with. Um, but basically, the best way to describe what cosmic horror is, is looking up at the night sky at night, looking at all the stars, and realizing how vast and how big the universe is, and how in insignificant you are in it. And anything that could happen, a rock crashing into the earth and destroying life here, um, or anything like that, it'll happen without any conscious being caring about what happens to you and your life. So base, the basic concept of uh, cosmic horrors are these ancient gods that existed before even Earth. And if they come through here, they're going to wipe us out or they're going to make us their slaves, but they won't even really register. We're less than ants in their world. And there is no god that's going to save you. Life is hopeless. <laughs> and and uh, it's very nihilistic. Let's just Let's yeah. just leave it at that. I was going to say, it does sound like they both share some like existential nihilistic roots. Yes, for sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's what, uh, uh, that's definitely what cosmic horror is. It's basically, and that's why it's called cosmic horror. Cause I think it's, it's with the idea of looking out into space, uh, from a field somewhere and realizing just how small and insignificant you are and realizing that there is no God and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be atheist because obviously there's the old ones, the old gods and whatnot. And, and with cosmic horror, you often get uh, cults that worship these ancient gods. And that never works out very well, but <laughs> I guess I guess if, if you got to try for something, might as well. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, as I was looking through... Um some of the weird books I had read or come in contact with, I noticed there was a lot of, it's like existential themes, but also a lot of themes having to do with nature, like in the, you know, Area X books, it's about like, kind of nature reclaiming, you know, like this section of land on their own terms. Um, but also notice there was a lot of like, fungal like spores are something that comes up a lot in weird fiction for some reason. Yeah. And I don't know if you had any insight on that. Well, you look at fungus itself. It's it's a very weird sort of uh, life form. Um, mushrooms grow, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some of those mushrooms out there can uh, uh, send you to other planes of existence. Uh, and it's just a fungus, right? And if you look at the uh, uh, the zombie ant fungus infection i forget where exactly yeah. where this is but basically this fungus takes control over the ant and makes it do its bidding it's it's terrifying but it's 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 real so fungus itself is is sort of a you know most of it's harmless but some of it isn't harmless at all and some of it will help you realize who you are if you ever decide to ingest it i'm not condoning uh you know drug use at all but you know, uh, it's there and, uh, it has some interesting effects on the human psyche. Right. And so you have to wonder exactly what is this, this substance that, that can grow out of the darkest, you know, cause most of it grows from, from wastes. Right. And so I think it's just the weirdness of the, of the, uh, the fungalness, you know, the spores and, and what it can do to you 
It is, you know. You know, it'd be, but you're right, like Jeff Vandermeer uses uh, fungus a lot <laughs> in his stuff. And uh, uh, Caitlin R. Kiernan used it in the story that I'm going to talk about. Um, it's just good fodder for yeah. some weird stories. <laughs> and uh, so it's, yeah, it's very prevalent. I think it's, it, like you you pretty much nailed it by saying <laughs> it's it's awesome food for thought. It's uh, It makes for some great storytelling. Yeah, one of the stories I have, you know, is all about it. So, <laughs> uh, so you were saying this is a genre that's, or a, a subgenre that's been around for a while. So for some of our listeners, what would you say are some of the classics yeah. that fall under weird? For sure. Um, you know, pretty much any horror writer from the turn of the uh, 20th century, the 1900s, were weird writers. They were horror as a genre itself didn't exist back then um it was just considered weird fiction and so if you had a ghost story that was considered weird and hmm. um it wasn't considered as like well it might have been just considered as a ghost story but it was also considered a weird story but nobody ever said it was a horror story back then um i'm not too sure when the actual word horror was used as a genre but so you got writers like uh M.R. James, um, I would highly suggest Ghost Stories of an Antiquary. That collection, it's all ghost stories, but it's considered weird fiction because of its root. Arthur Mackin, The Great God Pan, that's definitely a weird uh, fiction story. Algernon Blackwood, um, he has two of my favorites with uh, the, win uh, the Windigo and The Willows. And, uh, you know, Robert Block, he's, uh, he's known for psycho mostly yeah but he started out he was actually writing and corresponding with hp lovecraft way back in the day and uh, he wrote for weird uh weird tales just like hp lovecraft did and uh so he started out writing cosmic horror type stuff and then of course there's hp uh, lovecraft which Except for Robert Block, uh, all the other authors I just mentioned here were big influences on his own writing. And there's many others. Um, I added Lord Dunsany on there, and then I took him off, and I sh probably shouldn't have, because he was sort of like the, the fantasy angle of uh, weird fiction. And I think you could argue that uh, the new weird of today uh, mm -hmm. is heavily influenced on that type of uh, literature. Interesting. Um, I know I have a short story collection by Robert Aikman. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah, on my on my Kindle, I've been meaning to get to, but it was one of those stories that was just like really heavy <laughs> for this time in my life. Oh yes. and Very slow and very literary. Yes. I was like, I need to be in a different place to really get into this. To read, yeah, to read uh, Aikman, you really have to uh, be patient because <clears throat> he's not going to come at you with all the flashing lights and stuff. A lot of uh, a lot of his weirdness and the horrifying stuff that happens in his story or stories are very subtle, and if you, if you blink, you might miss it. <laughs> but then he has these other stories, like the sword. That story is just out there. It even for today, it it transcribes really well. Like it aged very well. I love that story. It's one of my favorite short stories of all time because of just how Ooh. weird it is. It's. I'll have to look into Yeah, that. if you're going to read Aikman, I would suggest starting off with that because... I have the um, a Cold Hand in Mine. Yes. Is the, is the collection I have. 
you know, it might be that one. I, I should. I'll have to check. Yeah. It. But I know um, when we interviewed Christy Demeester, she said he was a influence on her writing. Yes. He's, I haven't read all his collections. He has uh, five, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but I've read the majority of them. And uh, I, like you, I kind of have to be in the mindset because not all of them are like the sword. The sword is the one that, the first one of his that I read. And it really, like, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> but then you read a bunch of his other stories and you're like, where did the sword go? <laughs> but, so maybe it's not a good place to start if you're going to read Aikman, but... Maybe work up to the sword. Yeah. <laughs> and there's also, you can't talk about this stuff without mentioning Thomas Ligotti as well. He's... Okay, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, the story that I mentioned that I finished and I was so confused was uh, the town manager. Oh, yeah, from Teatro... Actually, Teatro Grotesco, I think, is, uh, is sort of a collection, sort of like a best of, if I, if I have my facts right on that. But that yeah that whole collection is really dark and really weird but then yeah thomas Ligotti himself has a very dark sort of uh philosophy and basic i forget is it ableist no um antinatalist or something like that basically uh he follows the philosophy that life is meaningless and uh there's no point in us being here and that we the earth and everything would probably probably be better without us and, uh, you know, it's very, so he, he sits down with these ideas floating around in his head and, uh, he comes up with some very dark stuff. Um, but his fiction, especially his earlier stuff can be a lot like Aikman's actually. Um, it's very dense, very character driven, which, you know, a lot of it is anyway, but, uh, there's not much really all that weird happening. It's almost got a, like a David Lynch feel to it as well. Interesting. Yeah, with the the tone manager, I remember it was a pseudopod episode I listened to. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> and I was like, this is great, very well written. I don't know that I got got it. <laughs> <laughs> but I appreciate a story well told. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Thomas Lagarde, he uh he can be uh you certainly need to be in the mood to read him. Yeah. <laughs> Especially his darker stuff. You don't want to be going into that when you're already depressed. Yeah, I can say that. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the influence of weird, uh, it's definitely also made a presence in pop culture. So are there any films or adaptations that would be considered weird, like capital W weird? Oh, yeah, for, sh- for sure. Um, you can probably blame H.P. Lovecraft for a lot of uh, the weird that, that bled into, uh, horror cinema, because even if it's not stamped all over it, that this is an HP Lovecraft inspired story. Um, you get other stories that, uh, that still have that sort of element in it. But, uh, if you want something that's direct, uh, especially with, uh, movies, the thing I think is one of the best cosmic horrors. And this is the 1982, John Carpenter film. Uh, it's the best, I think, cosmic horror film out there. You can't hit the nail more on the head than that that film. It's one of my favorite movies of all time as well. There's also, like, uh, In the Mouth of Madness, another John Carpenter film. Uh, it's very much a H.P. Lovecraft story as well. You got, like, uh, I, th- I think 
it even takes place in Arkham, which is uh, an H.P. Lovecraft town. But there's also stuff that's not necessarily like strictly H.P. Lovecraft. Um, I'm thinking of The Mist. It's a very Lovecraftian story itself, but uh, both the film and the novella by Stephen King. Um, it's very much like a cosmic horror, weird fiction type thing. If you want to move away from the cosmic horror a little bit, um, there's Annihilation, the uh, Jeff Vandermeer adaptation, although there's a lot of people who would argue that it is Lovecraftian, and it is to an extent, but I think especially the book is uh, more his own thing. The movie sort of goes into like one of uh, Lovecraft's stories, The Color Out of Space, I think it's called. and uh, But the book kind of... It's it's less than that, if that makes any sense. It's not exactly quite like that. You know, one thing that really brought a lot of people into reading H.P. Lovecraft is actually a D&D &D game called Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> really? Yeah. And this, like, I even, I saw, once I was at the uh, the cable store for um, for cable TV, and we were getting signed up for a new package of, of TV channels and whatnot, and internet and the guy who was serving us had this giant cthulhu tattoo on his forearm and i was like oh mm -hmm. you read hp lovecraft i thought this was awesome right and he was like no i play the game <laughs> it's like i did read a couple of his stories because of that game but that game is awesome and i was like oh weird you know <laughs> for me it was weird because i've never played it but but yeah <laughs> there's one that actually you brought up yeah, I was thinking the Welcome to Night Vale podcast. I would say it's a, a fairly cosmic because you do have like the older deities that like run the, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the new station. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I listened to the first season, I think it was. It, that does seasons, right? I think so because I, I feel like there's certain times where I do get refreshed like new episodes. Yeah. I, so I guess that makes sense uh, that they do seasons. Yeah. Yeah, I enjoy that podcast, too. It's a good one. Also, another uh, adaptation was I just saw Wounds on Hulu, mm -hmm. which was an adaptation of the Nathan Ballingrude story. I mentioned, I don't remember what episode I mentioned it, uh, but The Visible Filth. Mm -hmm. It was an adaptation of that, and that is very weird. <laughs> yeah, I really want to see that, but uh, I'm like Rachel... I, I live in Canada, and we don't get Hulu in Canada. Oh, I was going to ask, so how do you guys get things like Castle Rock? Does it come on a different service, or is that just not? Usually we just have to wait until it's on demand. Huh. So when uh, Apple gets it or Google gets it, I'll usually rent it from there. Or sometimes okay. another service, like another, uh, like Netflix or something like that, will pick it up as well. Hmm, interesting. Because that was good. That had a... Army Hammer and Dakota Johnson. Yeah, like it, it was good. And then the last 10 minutes, I was like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> Which seems on brand for. Yeah, for sure. Weird fiction. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> if you don't end the movie saying, what did I just watch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like everything was normal until the last 20 minutes. I. I watched uh, Annihilation on a plane <laughs> because it was when it had just come out and I think it got a theatrical release in uh, 
the U.S. and Canada, but it got like a Netflix release everywhere else. And I was on vacation in Mexico. It had been released on Netflix Mexico. So I downloaded it so I would have it on the plane (laughs) while I still had like Mexican Netflix. (laughs) And yeah, it was... Uh, very unsettling and a, a strange thing to watch on a plane. Yeah. It had a lot of like creepy, scary moments too. It did, especially that bear. The bear, yeah, the bear. <laughs> that thing is just, ugh. I, even thinking about it gives me the shivers, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Screaming like a woman. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it's missing half its face, but yeah. That, that scene really uh, sticks. It sticks in my head. That movie sticks in my head. I, I really en- really enjoyed it. Actually, I enjoy the movie version more than the book. And that's not really insulting the Ooh. book, honestly. The book is still good, I think. But I really enjoyed mm-hmm. that movie. I think they brought more elements to it. Yeah, I feel like, well... I think they also like humanized the characters a bit more. Because in the book, it's very hands-off. Like You don't really know anybody's name. Everyone is just their occupation. Like The narrator is unnamed. Yeah. That's very true. And they're almost like robots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I need to rewatch that on like a real screen. <laughs> That's not just like <laughs> Yeah. My phone on a <laughs> on a plane. I kinda wish I had been able to see it at the theater. Um Yeah. Because just seeing something like that on a big screen would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. Have you continued with any of the other Area X books? Not yet, no. But I keep planning to. But you know you yeah. know how that is. <laughs> I'm like that too. Well, I started the second one and I was really taken aback because it takes place at the like Southern Reach offices and it's like this weird like office politics corporate story. And I was yeah. like, what is that? What, what is this? It's completely different. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I, I did start it too. I made it into like the end of chapter two or something like that. And uh, I put it down, not because I hated it or anything like that. It just wasn't hitting the spot. And so, uh-huh. so I moved on to something else and I keep meaning to pick it back up with that in mind knowing where it's going and mm. uh but i i might do that this year because this year i kind of want to finish reading some series that i'm in the middle of and that would be a good one. Oh, that would yeah that would be a good one let's just see if i can find it i know hoopla has like the whole all of the books like together in one. Oh, i i have this uh compilation in physical form of all three books oh yeah so an omnibus as they call it <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. Yeah. I have a lot of like goals I put for myself for this year. So yeah, me we'll too. see. Maybe, maybe one of them will be <laughs> reading the next Area X book. Yeah. All right. So do we want to talk about some weird fiction books? Yeah, sure. Let's do that. Okay. So the first book I want to talk about is a short story collection. It's North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrude. And this is actually also getting a Hulu adaptation, just like Wounds was adapted from The Visible Filth. So that'll be one I'm excited to see how this translates. Oh, me too. Well, because it's, it's one of those things where a lot of these stories just kind of end on a, you know, ambiguous or like, you know how some stories just kind of end in the in the middle. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah. So I can't remember if every single story is set in the New Orleans area. I know the visible filth was, but I feel like the majority of them are kind of set in or around New Orleans. Um, This was one that was very human also. Like we are following all these people and that's what I really connected with 
in this story because I feel like it follows people who don't fit in for whatever reason or they're in weird transitional parts in their lives like you're following like a recently released convict who's like trying to connect with his wife and his daughter that he like hasn't seen for a few years and is kind of trying to figure out his place and they stumble upon this weird creature or a mom who's like now a single mom and kind of trying to figure out what what is life (laughs) (laughs) yeah in this place in my life it's just it's very human despite the fact that there are seen or unseen creatures in all of this story and I did have a few favorites I loved Wild Acre that's kind of a werewolf story but it's more about the aftermath of a werewolf attack and that's one that I really want to see adapted um you go where it takes you which is the one about the single mom but it's about a waitress who brings um one of our customers home and he shows her that he has a trunk full of human skins that he says that he puts on. And that's not, that's like the middle of the story. That's not even the like punch ending. <laughs> that wow. is like right away. You find that out. Yeah. Uh, and then the story like keeps going from there. So it was just very interesting. And I was surprised that I ended up enjoying the collection as much as I did. Cause I really, just connected with all of these stories and all of these characters and a lot of them were dark or following people that you might not want to spend a lot of time things like that and interesting people rating wise i will say it's fairly room temperature like i said these are stories about like creatures seen and unseen but mostly about people and like very human problems and dark emotional decisions so yeah very literary very well written and like i said looking forward to seeing how this translates to the screen awesome that was north american lake monsters by nathan ballingrude awesome i uh i have to admit i have not read that one yet but it's that and wounds are both on my Mm -hmm. like high on my radar um (laughs) I'm hoping to get to those this year as well, honestly, because because of those uh, Hulu shows when they're available, yeah. I wanna I wanna eat them up. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of uh, short story collections, I read uh, Swift to Chase by Laird Barron. Laird Barron, he's very much a complicated writer. This is his last collection of short stories that he released, I believe, in 2016. Um, and all the stories in this one, uh, I don't think he did this with any of his other collections, but these ones are all connected and they all take place either in or they're either based in Alaska or Alaska haunts the story in some way. And also mm-hmm. the, the character Jessica Mace plays a big role in almost every story. She's not in all the stories, but she's always there in one way or another. Um, these stories all have, uh, a baronesque language and characters. Um, the stories hold the flavor of, you know, basically like hard-boiled noir mixed with strong elements of uh, of dread and and horror. But of course, there's going to be some, you know, cult action as well. <laughs> uh, Baron's Laird Baron's characters typically are tough. And they don't bemoan hardships. Um, and that that's an interesting thing because a lot of weird fiction has a lot of uh, 
characters moping around being sad about their situation in life but <laughs> but uh, Laird Baron doesn't do that he uh, his characters are gritty and they're tough but they can also show a lot of uh, vulnerability too um, so they're they're sort of well-rounded in that way but they're they're not I think yeah. if you have read a lot of hard-boiled fiction you would probably mesh very well with uh, Laird Barron's style because he's got a real grittiness and his language is just every story is almost like a piece of art because he'll switch from tenses to uh, like he'll be doing it in uh, second tense and then he'll move to third tense and then he'll go to first tense and it all makes sense as to why he's doing that within the story's boundaries but like nobody does that nobody can get away with that <laughs> Um, yeah, you have to know what you're doing. Yeah, for sure. And this this collection is is really heavy on that. Actually, he takes that sort of style and he just he just went to town with it. And uh, the stories themselves, you know, I I kind of struggle to define Baron's stories because they sort of really need to reread uh, Baron's stories to get a good grasp of exactly what's going on sometimes. Um, but you, you you get the basics. Um, my favorites are. Uh, LD50, that was a pretty interesting story. Uh, Termination Dust and Ardor were my favorites. Um, the one thing I really liked about this anthology, or not anthology, collection, was how uh, you mentioned in, in yours that uh, there was the after effects of a werewolf attack. Well, Laird Baron actually plays around with the concept of werewolves and vampires in this book as, as well. And that's not something that you see too often in weird fiction because those are like typical horror tropes. But yeah. uh, you get these uh, murders that are happening and it's highly suggested, even though nobody says it, that, you know, a werewolf is doing this stuff because it's an animal attack in certain places where only people could really be and, you know, stuff like that. And there's also this weird story about a vampire and uh, an old porno adaptation of dracula <laughs> that was interesting <laughs> okay um as for rating this book i'm gonna put it in room, room temperature as well uh as i said it has laird baron's signature voice although i would say that this is my favorite of his collections the stories are complex and honestly i find them hard to remember because of how they bounce around all that tense shifting and that I mentioned really kind of throws you off when you're trying to remember exactly what the story is about. And so that sort of forces you to go back and reread it so that you can try to figure out what the hell is exactly going on. <laughs> He's an author I've been interested in because the only work of his that I've read was his newer series that he put out, which is more oh, yeah. straightforward noir. The, the, yeah, the crime ones. Uh, yeah. Blood Standard. With that. like the ex-mob enforcer yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i really haven't delved into his older horror stuff at all yeah uh, but he's someone that gets recommended to me a lot yeah i would definitely uh try if you especially if you want more horrific stories try uh occultation i was gonna say that's the one i've had my eye on yeah or uh uh the imago sequence that those uh uh, those have some really, like, exceptionally dark stories in them. This book doesn't ex exactly go there, 
but it it has similarities mostly in the style in the way the stories were written but uh but those stories those older stories they're definitely much more horrific than these ones were interesting so yeah i'll have to check him out and that was uh swift to chase by laird baron my next one is the beauty by Aaliyah whiteley this is a novella and this is the feud this takes place in the future where all women have died they all succumb to an illness that sprouts mushrooms all over them <laughs> and kills them so we are following a colony of men that live in the woods and they kind of in like a, a commune situation you know they all a pitch in and, and help each other uh, and we are following a narrator who is a teenage orphan and his role within the commune is a storyteller and to kind of tell everyone what happened and history. And one day while he's walking through the woods, he comes across a woman who is made of mushrooms and more mushroom women sprout up and start walking. Uh, They can't talk, but they can communicate with him telepathically. And he starts a romantic relationship with one of them. And uh, a lot of the men start Uh, starting relationships with the mushroom women (laughs) which causes a rift with uh, the other men and so it's like one of those things where the the camp is kind of split one group has readily accepted that you know this is maybe the next stage of human evolution and like who are we to fight it and maybe this is just our new future this is the new way of life and you know the other group of men who think this is disrespectful to the memory of human women (laughs) and so yeah they're split on uh, embracing the idea of them as women and people are skeptical I will say a lot of like body horror in this that I was not expecting and some (laughs) some scenes that uh have been etched into my mind uh especially going for like how do we define what humanity is now uh because with this new setup and romantic relationships uh, a lot of the roles are reversed biologically (laughs) (laughs) uh, when it comes to procreation so that was quite a a sequence of paragraphs (laughs) (laughs) so yeah this was a very very strange story and the minute i picked it up i'm like yeah this is weird (laughs) this is like very weird fiction. Uh, I will say it's room temperature with some disturbing body horror scenes. Uh, it's a strange short story, like I said, has got some gore. It felt like it was from a distance and uh, the violence did keep escalating, but I, I would still say it's a fairly room temperature. And that was The Beauty by Aaliyah Whiteley. I told you I had a mushroom book. Yeah. <laughs> and now I got to go read it. I think it's almost exactly 100 pages. So it's not oh, like see, a yeah. much of a time commitment. I really like the idea of that, of, uh, you know, women mushroom creatures. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because if the women are all gone, what do you what do? You do you know? It's, yeah. It's interesting. Just, just accept you're going to die out, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of fungus... I read uh, Born by Jeff Vandermeer. Uh, You know, surprisingly, there's not very much in the way of fungus in in this book, but but I think it did make (laughs) an appearance here and there. Uh, This story is basically about a planet, our planet, Earth, that has been ravaged by climate change. And we follow Rachel, not to be confused with uh, 
with 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 our Rachel. yeah <laughs> <laughs> we follow rachel who's a survivor of this uh, ruined earth she lives in a ruined city that never gets named she lives in this apocalyptic world that's uh that's very very alien to our world but at the same time it's 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 familiar as well basically she's a scavenger and she uh scaven it's like she goes looking for stuff just to survive and uh one day while she's out she she uh this is what really makes it weird and it kind of actually almost threw me off this story um because she finds this creature that's clinging to the fur of a giant bear that likes to fly around the city and torment the uh uh, the survivors living in that city, and that just oh. that 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 to me just seems kind of I don't know, um, you know, far-reaching. You could say, but Jeff Vandermeer handles this very well, and this bear is terrifying. <laughs> let me tell you. So he flies around the city ruins and he terrorizes its people, and she, like I said, while it was sleeping, she finds this little creature clinging to its fur, and so she she saves it and brings it home, and that is Born. She, I, I forget why they named it Born, but they uh, they named it Born, and the themes for this uh, book are of family, parenting, and mother and son relationships. She forms a a bond with Born that is very mother and son like. And it's one of my favorite parts of the of the novel. Um, and also what love is and what sacrificing for love means. Uh, I, f I did find that the prose f for this book could weigh down the story by being a little bit too poetic and introspective when it didn't need to be. But mm -hmm. otherwise, this is a very well-written story that can go to some very dark and gory places at times. Um one of my favorites is the uh, the evil. There's evil children in this book, and that was a lot of fun. Having having said that, my rating for this book, I'm just going to put as room temperature because uh, while it had some horror elements, it just wasn't scary. Even though I mentioned that Born was terrifying, I only mean that in a in my own sort of retrospective or thinking about it way. If there's this giant bear flying around the the city and you know swooping down to eat you every so often that would be terrifying but the way Vandermeer portrays it it's it's not really terrifying it's handled very well and it's very well written it's just not scary and uh, mm -hmm. uh and as I said my favorite part was the army of killer children <laughs> and uh that that's where things flying bear killer children yeah and that's where things would get very gory there's there's a lot of elements to this book. It's it's a short book as well. It's about 230 pages, but there's a lot that happens in it. And you know, I recommend it if you're if what I described sounds interesting, I think you should check it out. It's very different from uh from the Annihilation series, mm -hmm. but it it's more similar to his older stuff, I would say. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's like someone you like have to mention, I guess, if we're talking the new weird, especially since he edits the like new weird anthologies right for sure um this is definitely falls into that new weird category it's almost like a china mayville story in a way and mm -hmm. uh he's definitely like a big pioneer of of the new weird as well but yeah it's definitely a, a great read it's it it's never boring and i highly recommend it and that was born 
by Jeff Vandermeer. My final pick is The Cosmology of Monsters by Sean Hamill. And what I found interesting about this story is that a lot of it could just read like a straightforward book you would read for a book club about like a family and like sibling tensions and generational drama. But then it has all this weird supernatural stuff put in. So, <laughs> and the way that they were put together, I think makes a lot of sense to the story, but I just think it's funny to look and dissect all of that. So it's about literal and figurative monsters that haunt the Turner family. Like the story starts out in the 60s and you follow the mom who is Margaret when she meets Harry, who is a lover of H.P. Lovecraft and is like obsessive and collects all of his work and has all these comics. And against her better judgment, she marries him. And they have two daughters and they find themselves struggling financially and they decide as a family to open a haunted house attraction <laughs> as a, a family business. Awesome. And yeah, halfway through the story, you find out that the the, story's, um, the story is being told from the point of view of Noah, who's the youngest, and he sees a monster outside his window. And you see that in the beginning of the story, Margaret saw the same monster but Noah like communicates with it and starts a relationship with it and what the repercussions are of that and I really liked this the way that this story played with time and with a reality and what what you think you know uh, Stephen King described this uh, as if John Irving ever wrote a horror novel it would be something like this awesome I loved it. So that's what I mean. It's It has all those weird elements, but it has all of those literary elements that I think you see a lot in big commercial, like, you know, book club fiction. Like, this is the story of this family, and here are all the changes that happen to this family over the decades and generations. And as the children get older, you see, like, the patterns that they take on in their lives. And it's all of that plus Lovecrafty and weirdness. Mm -hmm. That's how so I would say this is a good entry point for maybe someone who reads those kind of books and is interested in experimenting with some weird fiction. I would say this is maybe a good place to start because it's got a lot of those familiar elements. I really like the uh, John Irving angle, <laughs> honestly, because <laughs> I, I would love to see more John Irving weird fiction. <laughs> because <laughs> well, now we know there's a market for it his fiction is weird enough on its own <laughs> i've actually never read anything he's the one that wrote a prayer for owen meanie right yeah yeah that's him yeah i've <clears throat> never got around to it i did watch the movie adaptation that he hated of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah well yeah and that was pretty weird <laughs> and and if he heard me say that his fiction was weird he'd hate me so because <laughs> he once got mad at an interviewer for saying that his characters were offbeat and weird and he was like no they're not they're real <laughs> and i was like okay okay Sure, sure. It's okay. No, totally normal. <laughs> yeah. It's fine. Uh, Rating-wise, I would say it's it's room temperature. My favorite parts were about the family. Like, I really loved reading Margaret and Harry's story and, you know, when they were dating and when they got married and kind of the early stages of their marriage and starting a family and settling down. Like, you know, those are, like I said, normal things you see in 
a lot of contemporary fiction and I, I very much enjoyed those. I also enjoyed, you know, the weirder aspects of it. Um, but yeah, this was a lot of fun, but I would say a fairly room temperature. Awesome. That was Cosmology of Monsters by Sean Hamill. Excellent. Um, my final book was uh, Agents of Dreamland by one of my favorite authors, Caitlin R. Kiernan. Now, <clears throat> Caitlin R. Kiernan is known not just for weird fiction. She's also known for her Lovecraftian type fiction. And this is definitely a cosmic horror story set in a Lovecraftian sort of style without it necessarily being Lovecraftian itself. So the story involves uh, a guy, his name, as the only name you get to learn about or what his name is is the sing signal man <laughs> so the signal man is the main character the funny thing about this book i found was that names of characters weren't necessarily important and you kind of find that a lot in in weird fiction it's it's not about the person's name sometimes especially in like cosmic horror um but this one is is sort of falls into that sort of uh category and uh what he does, he works for an agency, and it's never really defined exactly what the agency does, but we get the idea that they work for, or they uh, investigate supernatural events and stuff that like that that's going on. And I believe it's government-funded type of uh, agency as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could be wrong about that. There's so much information that she throws at you. It's hard. This is another one that would be really beneficial if you're to reread it because you know that you missed a lot of stuff and uh so um the one thing that i found is that this is kind of a becoming a bit of a trope uh and that's that's a good thing i think of uh, you know an agency that 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 looks into supernatural events and try to you know they continuously try to stave off the end of the world and that's exactly what's going on in this book. Um, but before I get into that, the signal man is a typical... Uh, the signal man, the character, he's a typical Kiernan character in that he's uh, very much broken. I really enjoyed reading him because he's he's got the characteristics that uh, that I find entertaining in in fiction, but really sad in real life. He's a, He's a broken character... And he's also an addict. He he likes to drink a lot, even when he's working. And uh, at the beginning of the story, the signal man meets a woman from another similar agency to his own. Her name is Sexton. I think she might be the only character that we actually learn their name. He meets her in a diner where he's seeking to make sense of, uh, of something that happened on a case where when they went something that disturbed him you know he's been doing this job for a long time he's seen a lot of weird stuff but this really got to him um so what he's he and his team basically stormed a cabin uh of cultists and what they saw in there (laughs) was uh something that kiernan is very good at doing she'll take you and she will make, without showing you exactly what's going on and what these characters see, she will make you feel how disturbed that they feel. And I really enjoyed that about this story because you get a glimpse of what happened in that cabin, but you don't see it, if that makes any sense. And uh, I really enjoyed that about the book. Because you didn't get to see it doesn't mean that you 
don't get to experience the effect it had on the signalman. So he uh, sees her, and uh, and basically what the story is coming down to is that the, the end of the world is coming, and there's basically nothing you can do to stop it this time. And it involves uh, what we were talking about earlier, the uh, uh, that fungus that... Uh, that attacks ants, the zombie ant fungus. Mm-hmm. And basically this is a fungus that does something similar to humans. And, uh, it sort of makes dimensions collide. And, and that's pretty much all I understood. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you got so much more out of it than I did. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's hard. It's really difficult to, to discuss because while you're reading it you sort of at least with me I was like okay I think I understand exactly what's going on here but but maybe not and then you go to yeah. discuss it and you're like okay you know what I so when I went to write down my notes for this book I was like uh, you know like where do I start <laughs> I don't know yeah it, it it's kind of confusing but at the same time it's uh it's fascinating I really, like, it had me looking up the zombie ant thing. I heard about that before, but I never looked it up. But while I was reading the book, I stopped, and I went and looked up zombie ants. And let me tell you, that's terrifying. <laughs> uh, the one, there's another thing I wanted to mention. Uh, Sexton, uh, the eight, the other agent, uh, she can travel through different periods of time via her own experiences. So it's almost like a predest- predestination thing is happening in this is in this book. Because she can go into the future, her future self, and she can go to the her past self. And so you have to wonder, is there like a present self or is she like all these selves in, in one? And that gets confusing all on its own. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I felt this was a really cool story. And I'm definitely going to reread it again because, as I said, there's so much going on. And I believe it's uh, the first of a trilogy. The next one is called Black Helicopters, and I I bought it immediately after reading this one. And my rating for it is I I, I was going to put it in the fridge, but then I thought about the zombie ants. And so I put it in the freezer because that's some terrifying stuff, in my opinion. (laughs) Uh, Kiernan, she's a master at creating disturbing imagery with her with her descriptions the fungus in this story is definitely one of her most interesting creations i'd say and if you if listeners out there don't know what the zombie ant is i highly suggest you research that stuff because it's terrifying and or read this book because kiernan actually describes in detail what that fungus is and uh i found myself both fascinating fascinated and uh, ready to, you know, go to the bathroom <laughs> in fear, you know, the cold sweats. Well, and yeah, that sounds like nightmare fuel. It is nightmare fuel, and uh, I loved it, so I I would recommend it wholeheartedly. Just uh, prepare to to be uh, confused. I would I would leave it at that. And yeah, and that was uh, Agents of Dreamland by Caitlin Urkiernan. Well, good. We ended on a freezer book and a episode full of room temperature stories. So I feel like <laughs> something for everyone. <laughs> well, it almost made it to the fridge, but it was those yeah. it was those darn zombie, zombie ants. ants. Yeah. <laughs> All right, now for some chilling obsessions. 
Zone Chilling Obsessions are something in horror that we've been enjoying lately. It doesn't necessarily have to be something new that has just come out. That's often the case for me. Sometimes I watch movies that came out forever ago, which is the case this week. (laughs) Um, I finally got around to watching Green Room, which was a movie that came out in 2015. It got a lot of buzz. And I watched this because I listened to the Horror Virgin podcast, which was uh, a chilling obsession from a previous episode. (laughs) And that's the podcast where a group of friends make their friend that doesn't like horror watch a horror movie every week. <laughs> and so this was the the one they were doing. And I was like, oh, I'll watch it with them and listen to the episode. And I ended up really liking it. I, I thought this was going to be a lot scarier than it was. Um, so this is about a punk band that is on a, like a low budget tour. They're very down on their luck and need money. They perform at a neo-Nazi club. They do know this before going in, but they're they're very much like, you know, whatever, like we'll perform, we'll get paid and we'll get out of there. Yeah. Unfortunately, it does not end up going that way because um, one of the band members leaves her phone in the green room and as one of the band members goes out to get it when they're leaving he witnesses something he should not have seen oh. and they have decided that they cannot leave now they have seen too much <laughs> <laughs> and so they yeah they barricade themselves in the in the green room and it's them versus these neo nazis who are led by Patrick Stewart weirdly <laughs> that is weird <laughs> <laughs> it's like the head head skinhead um <laughs> So this was really good, really tense. And I would say it's something I could watch with my husband because it really didn't have a lot of supernatural elements. It was pretty straightforward and just like a a really tense thriller in a way. So not something that I would say is like just for horror fans. And I would say in this episode, not weird at all. (laughs) Not not any weirdness. (laughs) Very dark. Yeah. uh, Very sad. But yeah, not a lot of like weird elements. It's it's a pretty straightforward story, but very good. I was I was impressed with the storytelling, and it starred the late Anton Yelchin. I think this what that was his last movie. Oh yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and Olia Shawkat from a I don't know how to say her last name Shawkat, <laughs> <laughs> maybe from Arrested Development. Yeah, and so that was a green room. <laughs> You know, I haven't seen that film, but it's one that's on my radar. It's it's weird because um, I find time for books and that. And, you know, I come from a heavy movie-watching history. Um, and lately, ever since I've had my uh, my little guy in my life, uh, mm-hmm. I just don't have time to, <laughs> to watch these movies anymore because I have to watch them late at night and I'm usually too tired. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I know I did. I relate to that because now my son's at the age where like he wants to know what's happening on the screen and he, he gets scared. Yeah. Like when, you know, when they're babies, like they don't know what's going on and you can just watch yeah, whatever. That's true. It's yeah. when they start like realizing. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you like, do oh, that? I can't, I can't watch. Yeah. I can't watch this stuff with you. Yeah, that's true. But uh, I did get a break over the uh, Christmas holidays to uh, uh, to watch a movie that came out recently. And uh, that was The Lighthouse with uh, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And it also has uh, a a woman actor in it. Uh, Her name is Valeria Caraman. 
Um, she has a very small role, though. It's basically Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson throughout the whole thing. Um, it's basically, uh, and this is, I don't, I, I imagine that this is true, um, that uh, the story is based on these two lighthouse uh, guys. It's basically like the leader and the, and the guy who's his uh, servant, basically, his uh, assistant. And they go on to an island of rock, and uh, they stay there for two weeks. That's their guard for, for the lighthouse. And they have to basically just take care of the lighthouse and uh, keep it up. And also, you know, shine the light out at night so they can help guide boats. And uh, some weird things start happening. Um, the, the story is pretty much told from Robert Pattinson's character. And you come to realize, and I don't want to get too far into this because I have my theory as to what happens in this film. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm just going to leave it at that his character, it's told in his perspective, but you can't rely on his perspective um, mm. at all. He's very much, uh, oh, what's that term called? Very unreliable narrator. There's, uh, uh, and this is where Valeria comes in because there's mermaids in it. <laughs> and uh okay. yeah and uh they're they're not friendly mermaids um and you know obviously it come comes into question whether or not they're even real but the the story itself is told in it's in black and white and uh there's some just if you take out the weird dark stuff there's still some weird stuff going on if that makes any sense cuz uh Willem Dafoe he takes uh, the night shift, so he's up in the lighthouse, and there's a scene where he's naked and reaching for something, and you just don't know what the hell he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> and you gotta wonder if uh, the director, who uh, who's also uh, one of the writers, Robert Edgars, uh, you have to wonder if they were just doing that for style or for uh, you know to keep you guessing. Um, it's a very, very odd story, and uh, I, I enjoyed it, though. It kept me, even though, you know, because Robert Ed- Edgars, he did uh, uh, The Witch, mm-hmm. and uh, that story, you really need to, uh, you need to pay attention, and that's sometimes hard to do. <laughs> this, because of its slow pacing, is very much a slow burn. Um, this movie is very much a slow burn as well, except that there's so many odd things happening that you're sort of got your eyes glued to the screen. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I would recommend it if uh, if you want to see something that's a little out there, a little bit, uh, little bit off the wall, and something that'll keep you guessing, and might even keep you guessing after you've watched it. And that was the the lighthouse. That's on my to watch list. So, and we were talking. I don't get to get out much, so I will be waiting for that when it comes to streaming. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a very to watch. It's a very dark film, both visually and uh, mm-hmm. in concept. Um, there's some, yeah. It's it's definitely out there. <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> it, it falls into. It's kind of cool that I watched that because. Uh, because it definitely falls into the weird fiction spectrum, I think. Mm-hmm. And and it's just a lot of fun. 
Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod, on Instagram at Books in the Freezer, or at Facebook.com slash Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are at booksinthefreezer.com. We are also on Patreon as books in the freezer and there's different rewards for all of the different tiers if you are at the final girl tier you get the episodes on sunday instead of tuesday and you get to know what the topic is the week before the episode comes out uh three dollar patreon supporters can be part of the voxer group and you get to ask questions first when I have author interviews, uh, among other things. Malevolent spirits get all of those things, plus monthly bonus episodes. So check us out there. Uh, there are a lot of ways to support the podcast. And one of them is leaving a review for us on Apple Podcasts. And we also recently became Amazon affiliates. So if you do make a purchase on Amazon, be sure to use our link. The coolest things that were bought using our link this week was somebody pre-ordered Wonderland by Zoya Stage, which was featured on the new releases episode that came out last week and also somebody bought some men's running shoes so very cool <laughs> so yeah if you're gonna make a purchase on amazon uh consider using our link uh before you do that i'm stephanie you can find me on twitter at lady underscore ganya or on instagram at that's what she read and that's that's with two a's or on youtube as that's what she read where can people find you, Jason? Well, you can find me on my YouTube channel. Just search Jason's Weird Reads. I come up tops on that, which is nice. But, you know, <laughs> when I first started, I typed in uh, Jason's Weird Reads and you couldn't find myself. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, you can find me at uh, Jason's Weird Reads on YouTube. And you can also find me on Twitter at Jason underscore white 74. And uh, that, you know, that also there's uh, my podcast, the Darkness Dwells podcast, but right now we're sort of on a hiatus because of uh, some scheduling issues, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll get back to that later in the year. And that's pretty much it for me. So yeah, be sure to check that out. And again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Jason, and talking weird fiction with me, because it's something I wasn't like super familiar with so this was a fun conversation well thank you very much for having me i uh i absolutely love talking about this type of stuff and uh and i hope i didn't gab your ear too much <laughs> no <laughs> it was great well like i said thank you so much well thank you, thank you.